0: Hello and welcome to the Movie Mouth Film and TV Podcast. On the spooky episode 13 of this week's show, we have four huge new releases for review with Netflix's Ratchet, Amazon's Utopia, FX's season 4 of Fargo, and Millie Bobby Brown as the titular Enola Holmes. Alongside these, we'll be discussing the latest film news, listener questions, trailer breakdowns, and listen out for our new music, again, for our classic film section of Video Store Corner, where we'll be discussing the 1990s video game adaptation of the beat-em-up video game, Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat! This is your co-host, Miles, and as ever, I'm joined by a man. He's seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion... He's watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in the rain. Time to die. It's Phil. <laughs> Hello, Miles. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Yes. Yes. Good. Yes, I'm doing very yesterday. Yes. <laughs> yesterday. So what have you been uh, watching this week?
1: Um. Well, I have watched... Um, I'm still working my way through Umbrella Academy season 2. Mm-hmm. Very close to the end now. I think uh-huh. I've got two episodes left. Uh-huh. I'm loving it. Good. As you said it, it's a it is a um a change up in pace to the first series, but yeah. I really really like it. Um so yeah, looking forward to seeing the conclusion of that. Um and then the other thing I watched which has stuck in my mind this week is a 2019 Spanish film called The Platform. Oh, Which is on Netflix, Netflix. yeah. Hmm. So, have you heard about this? I've heard of it. Yeah, I've known a few people that have seen it that recommended it to me. Yeah, it was really good. It was recommended to us, and we stuck it on, and it was, it was nice, and it was a good, different uh, kind of film. I guess it's so set, set in like a, a, it's
0: set in a train station, right? And it's just a load of people waiting for a train on a. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's it. That's all, all they platform. do. Then the train comes and then it ends. The next train
0: to <laughs> London, Victoria is <laughs> delayed by one hour,
1: 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be very accurate. Uh, no, it's set in a giant um, tower uh, with that's at least 230 odd levels high, wherever it is. And basically the tower has a hole, like a rectangular shaped hole all the way through the middle of it. And each floor is a, like a prison cell Mm -hmm. and what happens is uh, a platform that magically sort of floats from the top to the bottom gets lowered gradually down and it's full of the like the most amazing buffet of food when it starts Mm -hmm. at the top and as it works its way down it stays in each cell for like a certain amount of time Mm -hmm. and uh, obviously the prisoners in there as it gets lower and lower get to eat less and less uh, and they basically just left the scraps at the bottom.
0: This was not going where I thought it was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. I didn't expect it to be a platform full of food that gets lowered.
1: Shouldn't yeah. They have called it's it
0: a platter a, or the <laughs> tray. <the platform>? <laughs>
1: um, but it, honestly, it's really good and it, it's pretty messed up. It's um, but it's a really different idea like you Mm. think oh why don't they just keep the food like you know like they could just take it off there. you can't you can't any food that you try and take off of it and leave in there after the platform has gone they basically either burn you to death or freeze you to death depending on how they feel
0: i would love Uh, to know what they were smoking when they made that
1: yeah but i it's really worth a watch it's it's really different so yeah that's what i watched this week well i might watch that this week this week and let you know how it went on uh, next week's you
0: should I watched, thanks to you and your wonderful Mulan review. I watched Mulan, and uh, oh yeah, wanted obviously to watch it because you you, you know you, you you gave some really good points on it. I agreed with pretty much everything you said. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was a really good movie. Um, loved the the kind of real world world setting, how they kind of adapted the the cartoon. Uh, the use of the phoenix, uh, the locations were stunning, weren't they? The cinematography yeah. was great. I think it was it filmed really well. Yeah. Uh, the use of chi, you know, is this kind of superpower, which is also kind of used as a kind of martial arts energy, which is brilliant. I just thought it's a real shame that young children, and in particular young girls, don't get to see this in the cinema. They don't get that experience of going to see a young female heroine centered movie, um, wherein, you know, as young boys, young kids, we got to see all of You know, that all the time when we go to the cinema. So I think that was a real Mm. shame that they released that. And it's a shame there's a lot of, you know, uh, controversy around the filming location, obviously in China, where they've obviously, you know, raised a lot of issues around uh, human slavery in in the regions that it was filmed as well. So yeah, a bit of a shame, but it was if you judge it as a movie, I thought it was really good. I've also been watching uh, to kind of change it up slightly on Apple TV. The first thing on Apple TV that I've actually watched consistently since Apple TV launched, Apple TV Plus, I should say, and that's the comedy series, Ted Lasso, which is, it's basically Jason Sudeikis is the titular Ted Lasso. He's an American football coach or hand egg coach <laughs> who travels to England to manage struggling English Premier League football team, Richmond FC, AKA the Greyhounds, um, so it's a kind of 30 minute, you know, comedy show It's a really nice, light tone, really good supporting turns from Hannah Waddington's the club's recently divorced owner, Rebecca, um, who is going through this breakup with uh, Anthony Head of of Giles fame from Buffy. Oh yeah, And he basically they he used to own the club. They get divorced. She keeps the football club in her name. And she's then kind of dead set on running the team into the ground. Um, and then you have, and so obviously she hires Ted. You've then got Juno Temple um, as a as a wag called Keeley, who generally brings a lot of charm as well to the performance. And uh, Ted Lasso himself, he's kind of, you know, what you would assume to be this kind of ignorant type character coming to the UK to manage a football team. But it, he somehow it doesn't end up being irritating or ignorant at all. He's actually really warm, earnest, also has a lot of depth. You want him to succeed. It reminds me a lot of those kind of Ricky Gervais comedies, that kind of tone like extras yeah. um or you know more recently with afterlife it has a real kind of sweetness to it lightness to it and um some of the football stuff is a little is you know isn't done so well um but in general it's really good really fun and a lot of people i know it both in the us and in the uk have both enjoyed it so uh definitely mm. recommend that on on apple tv the other one um Ridley Scott's new HBO none more sci-fi drama, Raised by Wolves. Mm, have you have you I seen the trailer? The trailer book. Book? I saw the trailer. Yeah. So I've watched four or five episodes of this. Um, it's on HBO Max in the US. I think it's about to be released in Europe, or it's just just come out. This is about a planet where two androids hatch a family of human embryos. They race. They they kind of raise them um, before this ship arrives carrying humans. And then all hell breaks loose. Uh, basically, one of the androids uh, is a is a necromancer, um, which basically means that they are in completely insane. Um, it's really dark, chilling, a little too uninteresting, though, for me. The problem is that the only hero character in it is, an, is a child, whereas all the other characters, uh, they have a somewhat blotted ledger. Um, not unlike Game of Thrones, but Game of Thrones man- man- managed to kind of carry that off whereas here it's just a bit everything's a bit dark and a bit depressing and i i don't really want to root for a child hero you know it, it it's 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 a very it's very adult stuff um just i don't know i am just not, i'm not really enjoying it to be honest it's 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 interesting to watch it's it's very sci-fi you know yeah, yeah. very very sci-fi it's hard sci-fi i would say um, from the trailer so- it
1: looked like it, it looked really good visually mm
0: yeah, it is. The first two episodes are actually directed by Ridley Scott. the The remaining, I think, three or four or five, uh, I think beyond that, are directed by his son. Um, okay. So it looks good. It's good. He's got good kind of production value. Some of the CGI it can can look a little bit bad, but I don't know. Some of the acting isn't great, and um, so I possibly won't finish that. Um, con- continuing also, by the way, with the boys on Amazon. So this week, I uh, picked up on uh, episode five. This week saw evil Superman, Homelander. Uh, getting jacked off as he crushed the head of a human robber in a back alley.
1: <laughs> wow!
0: Uh, very adult twist on a typical superhero moment: stopping a yeah. bank robber as he like checks his stash, having you know robbed a bank, um, but getting jacked off by somebody else while uh, squashing his head like a grape. Um, so there was that. Uh, so, wow. but. But yeah, still loving that. Still loving it. So anyway, let's jump into this week's listener question. This week, uh, we have a question. Hi, Miles and Phil. As children, we've all been haunted by scary or otherwise creepy moments in movies when we were growing up. The question is, what movies or TV have caused long-suffering repercussions or scarred your psyche from a young age? Extra points if they were a children's movie or show. So come on, Phil. What scarred mm. you psychologically for all of your days? <laughs> I
1: other mean, than, Other than things that actually happened to you as a child? I think I'd, most of the things that scared me from watching them when I was younger were things that I probably shouldn't have been watching <laughs> at that age. So films like Poltergeist and, I don't know, like The Shining and... Uh, I remember one film, one really, really crap horror film called Dr. Giggles, <laughs> which I saw like really late at night on TV when I was Wasn't that young. the name of your cat when you were growing up? <laughs> no, fucking if it was, I'd be shit scared of it. Uh, no, I can't even remember who was in that. You'd recognize it. This is things.
0: the 1992 comedy drama horror movie Dr. Giggles uh, starring Larry Drake as Dr. Evan Rendell.
1: Oh my God! Do you know it? Do you know it?
0: IMDb is a wonderful thing. Oh, you, well, that was quick. Yeah. Um, this is this revolves around a madman who believes he's a doctor, comes to town where his crazy father was killed. Soon begins murdering people and becomes infatuated with a teenage girl who has a heart condition.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's terrible, and it's a comedy a scene in it. It's a comedy it's, horror, is it? Oh my God! Apparently, I've not it seen is. It for a while, I do own it. I did buy it, Um I've not I've not watched it for years. But there's a scene in it that I remember that I was a bit like uh, horrified by when he killed all these people. And basically he 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 has like a surgery and he puts all the dead people that he's killed in the waiting room of the surgery. So he's got all <laughs> these corpses like sitting in the chairs in the waiting room. And I was like, oh, no. um, <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah. It sounds like I, Beetlejuice when they go in and they see all the, the dead Yeah. People, you know. But that was, I don't know. But it's not, I think having watched it, I haven't seen it for a long time, but I do remember the last time I did watch it, I was like, this isn't scary at all. This is pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that, so it was more things that I shouldn't have been watching, I guess at my age. Yeah. When I was then, but there are things in kids movies that have like, not scared me, but been a bit like, what the hell, you know, there's some really creepy stuff in kids films. Oh Yeah. Um, I mean, I've got, I've got a few in a list if you want to hear them. Go on. So, uh, (laughs) I think the first one, maybe Pinocchio. Oh, when when he goes in the whale. Yeah. Well, no, before that, when I think it's before that, when they get kidnapped, doesn't he end up smoking or something? Yeah. And they get kidnapped by this guy, like who (laughs) kidnaps loads of kids, I think. And then they he gets like influenced by these kids and then basically they, t- they start smoking and stuff and playing snooker or pool. And then they get, then they start turning into donkeys. Like t- tails sprout. That's right. And then, yeah. And they go yeah. and they start like screaming it. And one of them like is like really distraught by it. And yeah. it's quite like, what the hell's going on there?
0: Yeah.
1: And that's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if, i think, i wonder if guillermo del toro is going to put that in his live action version of Pinocchio. oh i really hope so because it'd be properly messed up wouldn't it he's got it wouldn't he he definitely will but in a similar vein it's like in dumbo when he gets drunk and then doesn't he get drunk and then there's like loads of weird dancing elephants to the yeah yeah like the animation yeah or oh, yeah that's a bit odd i think you know a lot of the disney artists were on something at that time <laughs> Without a doubt. Cocaine's the hell of a drug. <laughs> um, what other ones have I got? I've got um, Return to Oz has got a couple of very odd things. And, in fact, these were brought up by my wife, Carly. And she <laughs> she said about the wheelers in Return to Oz, which are like these weird creature things that, like, <laughs> roll around on – like their feet are wheels, and they're, like, on all fours, but they're clearly humans. But yeah. they've got these weird masks on. And then they just, like, screech at you and laugh. And it's really odd. It's creepy. Yeah. And then in the same film, you've got the uh, witch who, like, can swap her heads. And she she goes into, like, the, the room full of different heads that are all, like, alive. They're all obviously just people's heads, like, cool. in a uh, you know. And she basically picks heads up and can swap them onto her body. But there's a bit where um, Dorothy goes in there, and I think she, like, she, I can't remember what she's trying to do. She, like, startles them, basically. She drops something, makes a noise, and then the heads wake up, and they see that she's not meant to be in there. So they all start screaming at her. But It's really odd. <laughs> yeah, all these weird <laughs> heads in glass cases. I think the Wizard of Oz is scary enough
0: when the house lands on the on the witch at the start, and, like, the... <laughs> Yeah. The the like the
1: trousers the pant legs roll up and then you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah yeah I mean oh there's some weird stuff in there I mean it, actually similarly to that <laughs> with the pant legs roll up one I was gonna mention that did actually freak me out a little bit when I was younger was Who Framed Roger Rabbit when Christopher Lloyd gets run oh, over by the steamroller. 100%. And then his legs, like, curl up like Boo. paper. Yeah. And, oh, my God. That freaked me out quite a bit. <laughs> I remember <laughs> that freaked me out.
0: You, you forgot the part when his human eyeballs pop out, roll across the floor, and then he has these giant cartoon eyes that are, <laughs> oh, like, yeah. in his head. Oh and they're, God. like, rolling in his head. That's the scariest oh, part.
1: I need to watch that again. That might have to be a video co- video store corner soon. I oh, think. it's a great movie. It's a great. Yeah, movie. I've not seen it for a long time. Uh, and then one last one. I well, no, two. I've got in the Neverending Story. The nothing, like the wolf creature, was pretty yeah. scary uh, as a character. And then, I mean, I don't know if this is meant to be a kids' film. I don't think it is. But Watership Down. Oh yeah, I mean, that's- what the hell. Yeah, I mean, it's a cartoon If it's not meant to be for kids, it's an anime. You know, it's it's freaky as hell. It is freaky as hell. And it's, I mean,
0: I was beside myself for most of that. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> like fire. I don't have
1: any desire to watch that ever. No, Again. me too. Me too. <laughs> um yeah so that was it for me what have you got
0: well funnily enough talking about animation in particular disney one of the first movies that i ever saw in the cinema um in the worthing dome in fact was a disney animation if you remember there's there is a there's a scene in that in this movie and i'm not going to give it away just yet hmm. But i remember it upset me it upset me so much that the babysitter had to take me outside into the foyer <laughs> and buy me a box of round trees fruit pastels. Do you remember they, those boxes? In the-, <laughs> the boxes. The yeah. Are you yeah. sure you just didn't want, you just really wanted the Roundtree's fruit probably, pastels? yeah. Probably, yeah. Especially the orange ones. I used to love them. Mm. Um, anyway, eventually I calmed down and went back in. But that movie is, of course, a movie that's supposed to be for very, very young children. And, of course, it's Bambi. And that <laughs> scene is the moment when Bambi's mother, who she has such a strong, Bambi has such a strong connection with, uh, gets graphically shot to death by hunters. <laughs> yeah, and Bambi's kind of left like having to deal with it. I think I realised at this point that basically Disney introduced me to mortality in this moment, and I was probably three or four years old. I still remember sitting in the theatre watching it. Like, I remember yeah. the the feelings that went that went through me. Around the same age, we had an amazing VHS player in our house but we only had two quote-unquote children's videos to watch on it, both of which oh. were ghost-themed. So for reasons unknown, my parents thought it was cool for me to watch Ghostbusters around the time when I could barely even speak. What's uh, <laughs> so, wrong with that? <laughs> well, this did mean that the, the scene at the start of the movie where Ray, Egon, and Venkman go to investigate strange goings-on in the oh, New York public library. library. Are you, like- Alice, menstruating right now? Uh, only to encounter the shushing library ghost who after Ray's insistence that they shout get her, transforms into a monstrous fucking ghoul and screams (laughs) rah before they run out uh cleaning up the town plays pigeons scattered down the steps of the of the she library like
1: flyers right into the camera doesn't she yeah Blah! that oh.
0: ghost still haunts me it, it, honestly it freaks me out even today when i watch it even though it's one of my yeah. favorite movies i watch it over and over and over again that freaks me out uh even now that used to terrify honestly that as a kid that would i couldn't watch it i remember yeah
1: no the, i know what you mean
0: oh the, the other video that we had of the two Cuddly, warm, and friendly episode of Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends, with narration by the warm and wonderful Ringo Starr. Ah, uh, um, but I don't. How could such a like a cute, happy children's TV show from the eighties, uh, starring smiling and talking trains, haunt me for the rest of my life? You ask. Well, my parents, of course, are to blame. Yet. Again, unimaginably deciding to buy what would appear to be a random episode of Thomas on VHS, which also happens to be the 50th episode. It's the 24th episode of season two. So just a completely (laughs) random episode. But I'm convinced they hated me as a child and were adamant that I'd be a bedwetter for the rest of my (laughs) life. It is, of course, the episode known as Thomas and Friends Ghost Train. So let me read the plot to you, Phil, and I think you'll get the gist of my trauma here. Go on. So this starts with Percy, the green little green train, telling Thomas and Toby the story of a ghost train that his driver told him the night before and is afraid to think about it. Mm. Thomas doesn't believe a word of it, runs off, calling Percy a silly little engine. Percy (laughs) tells his driver that Thomas didn't believe in the ghost story. Uh, Percy's driver says that it was only a story he saw on TV so it wasn't real And per- but Percy can't help but be disappointed when he finds out it's not a real ghost story so Percy enjoys running at night basically driving around the tracks at night and knows exactly where he is despite the dark he can literally just he knows where he's going right he doesn't need like signal points he just does what he's got to do at night time for some reason yeah. what Percy doesn't know is that there's a broken cart of lime on the tracks and this farmer has basically left it there he's gone for help Percy comes down the line, smashes into the car, goes everywhere. He gets absolutely covered in lime, this kind of pale powder. So Percy needs to be cleaned up because he basically looks like a ghost. This gives Percy an idea to scare Thomas and ask not to be cleaned until he plays his trick, which Toby agrees to help him with. Okay, right. This is where it gets dark as fuck. All right? (laughs) Go on. At the train sheds, Thomas is preparing to take his evening train when Toby, pretending to be scared, (laughs) arrives and tells him that Percy has had a fatal accident. Oh, my God. (laughs) Children's show for young
1: children. How many cartoons nowadays have the words (laughs) fatal accident in them? (laughs) That'd be be like watching an episode of Jimbo about the plane and seeing it crash and burn. I know. Thomas, I'm so obsessed. Percy's been
0: involved in a fatal accident. (laughs) So so Thomas is mildly concerned for Percy. This is even weirder. Thomas is mildly concerned for Percy, but he's more more worried that the news and the the fact there might be an issue with the tracks or whatever will make him late. So Toby tells him, Toby, Toby tells him, everything's fine. Line's been cleared. Um, but also that he thinks he saw Percy's ghost. (laughs) So Thomas is unconcerned and tells, he's like, you know, Toby, don't worry about it. You don't believe in ghosts, blah, blah, blah. Thomas is a psychopath. (laughs) After this, however, a ghostly voice comes from outside the train shed demanding to be let in. Oh, let me in, let me in. Not by the hairs on my chinny chin chin. So Thomas is frightened. The shed doors open and reveal what appears to be Percy's ghost, right? So he's like sitting there all covered in like lime and like, Yeah. Thomas pretends not to be terrified, says he's late, and quickly runs off to collect his coaches, Annie and Clarabel. Even after he's finished his run, he doesn't even return to the shed for the rest of the night to see what's gone on. The (laughs) next morning... Thomas finally returns and meets Toby at the station. When Toby asks what's happened, Thomas reveals he slept in the good shed, claiming he didn't want to intrude as Toby would be sad about Percy's death. <laughs> Basically, Thomas the Tank Engine had zero empathy, couldn't give a fuck about Percy dying. He was a complete psychopath. However, he just fucked off. Yeah, he just fucked off. As he makes his excuse... Uh, about not wanting to go back to the shed, blah blah blah. Percy lets off this really ghostly whistle in the distance, and then you see Thomas run off, scared, like freaked out, like going absolutely crazy, not knowing right. obviously that Percy's not Percy's not really a ghost. And then you see like at the end, Percy like going across this bridge, covered in streamers and like all ghostly with this whistle. And the fact that Thomas freaked out as well. You know, we were, I was anchored so much to to Thomas's psyche at that age. You know, he was fun, <laughs> strong, on time. But this scared the shit out of him. So, fuck you, Thomas the Tank Engine. Fuck you, Ringo Starr. Because <laughs> right. this, genuinely, this had an effect on me. This episode. If anyone checks it out, it's such a weird episode. Like it's there's real psychopathy in this episode. And I
1: think you scarred yourself all over again, didn't you? I have a fate. You need a break. Percy's recording. recording?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm just, just gonna go have a just gonna go have a cigarette. I've, I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. But I'm gonna go and have one now. We're going to light, light a shaky cigarette in the garden and stare and feed the birds. Um, Make sure there's no trains outside. Yeah. <laughs> beep, beep. <laughs> uh, so that, that answers this week's questions. I hope that that uh, answered your question and uh, you're happy with the suitable level of pain that we are both now in and sleepless nights that are going to follow us for the next couple of weeks before the next podcast. Mm. So, in this week's news, um, you want to get us set off here, Phil? Yeah. So,
1: I've got a couple of bits, a couple of bits of news. So, first is that uh, Conan the Barbarian could be on his way to Netflix. Um, so, apparently, a live-action series um, based on the character is on its way, which could be very exciting. Um, there's no plot or time frame or anything like that for it at the moment it's just sort of a bit of uh, more than rumour I think I think it's just uh, you know it's in the works but yeah there's not much information about it but I'm quite excited about that it's interesting I wonder if if, uh, we will see the enemies
0: driven before them and hear the lamentations of the women (laughs) (laughs) well let's hope so (laughs) let's all pray to Crom
1: that we do (laughs) Uh, And then the other bit of news I've got is just, again, it's just a small bit, but it's um, Idris Elba um, is going to star in a survival thriller called Beast, which is for Universal Pictures, uh, where apparently he's going to be fighting a lion. uh, (laughs) Sorry, what? (laughs) He's going to be be fighting a lion.
0: (laughs) So, Well, it's it's a 90-minute movie of Idris
1: Elba fighting a lion, basically. (laughs) Well, no, I think it's about 70 minutes of training to fight the lion and then 20 minutes of fighting the lion. Wait, what the fuck is going on? What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. All I know is there's a film coming out called Beast with Idris okay. Elba and in it he's going to fight a lion. Okay. That sounds <laughs> interesting. <laughs> They're keeping it. It's un- <laughs> the storyline's under wraps quite a bit, but I think yeah. it's written by the same guy who wrote um, Rampage. It's uh, Ryan Engel, Uh Rampage, the movie with Dwayne Johnson. Yeah.
0: The uh, adaptation of the Midway Arcade classic.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so that is an awful, awful movie. I'm going to tell you that it. now. I don't, I don't really want to see okay. that. Okay.
1: Uh, but maybe I want to see... Well, I'm leads. looking forward
0: to this. <laughs> 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 I mean, I would watch an hour and a half of of, um, of 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 Idris, of Big Driss, fighting a lion, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, I don't want him to hurt the lion, though. No, I want them to maybe make up, make friends. Halfway through, yeah. yeah, and then like go. Let's just start attacking all of the the camera people and the director for making <laughs> such a terrible <laughs> fucking movie.
1: Well, don't judge a movie by its. Don't p- judge a lion by plot its rumors. Movie. Uh, Is that it? I
0: yeah. All right. Blimey, I, I'm pretty sure you dreamt both of those. Um, <laughs> okay. Didn't. So, oh, so for me, uh, this revolves around uh, the late, great Chadwick Boseman. Um, his co-star on the movie 21 Bridges, Sienna Miller, the uh, the English actress. Uh, she popped up in the press recently uh, talking about how she was approached for a role in the movie. Um, this is a movie, obviously, that Chadwick also starred in and produced. Um, Chadwick actually requested her specifically for the movie. And apparently she was approaching burnout because she'd been working on multiple projects over the last few years she just had a kid who was about to start school um so she was kind of like well I, I'll, I'll do it because i want to work with chadwick but i'll do it for like my usual fee like a hollywood fee as it's a, a you know kind of high budget movie um but uh, the the filmmakers declined basically said no you know we can get someone else for less or whatever um but anyway apparently chadwick stepped in and put up half of his salary towards hers to get to the point where she wanted to be in, t- in terms of playing the role um, yeah, so that she could be cast and and take the role. So what an absolute that's, legend! That's really good. Yeah,
1: yeah. I she didn't said have it, to do that, <laughs> but you know,
0: no, that's that's. I mean, that's it. Seems to be Hollywood, sadly, that you know, in some cases they're happy to, you know, pay for the the male lead in the movie, but not the not the the female lead mm. to pay pay differently. So, what a guy! Um, yeah. I'm sure there'll be more stories about this guy coming to light after his passing, but just kind of you know, it speaks volumes of, of who the man was, um, and kind of segueing off from from that into, you know, kind of MCU-based news. This is a really interesting one coming out of both uh, Marvel and Sony. And that is that Jamie Foxx, um, ye of uh, pistol shrimp power, <laughs> has, <laughs> <laughs> has has been cast as Electro again, this time in the MCU sequel to Spider-Man Far From Home starring Tom Holland. But what's most interesting about this is if you actually remember back to The Amazing Spider-Man 2 starring Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man, Jamie Foxx was also Electro in that movie. So oh. so this is hot on the heels of, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, um, Spider-Man Far From Home, J.K. Simmons reprising his role of J. Jonah Jameson, which of course he was part of the Raimiverse, the Tobey Maguire trilogy of Spider-Man movies. Yeah. Um, so he he basically reprised the role at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home, which is pretty weird. So this points to two things. One, Sony's starting to embrace their Spider-Man back catalogue as a Spider-Verse, so linking those movies together in some way. And Marvel now using these threads, cough, cough, <laughs> as part of an extended uh, MCU cinematic multiverse, which gives web. credence to... yeah. <laughs> which gives credence to the multiverse theories currently revolving around the next phase of Marvel's MCU. So you won't know much about this because you haven't seen, you've not seen much of the MCU, certainly the last few few movies. But basically, no. what this could mean is that we could see Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield or both reprising their role as Spider-Man in the MCU alongside, alongside Tom Holland, perhaps. Mm. Maybe even Wesley Snipes' Blade alongside the new Blade, uh, Maharashtra Ali. Hugh Jackman's Wolverine maybe alongside the next incarnation of the character I wouldn't be surprised and also what's interesting to know is that Doctor Strange which is the next uh the next Doctor Strange movie with Benedict Cumberbatch is is yeah. called The Multiverse of Madness um and it's also directed by get ready for goosebumps Sam Raimi mm-hmm. and that's that's coming out in 2022 so it won't be long until we find out certainly there'll be more casting rumors but it, the next phase of, of MCU movies could could go into a crazy, crazy direction. But could yeah, be really no. interesting.
1: Yeah, definitely. Pretty cool.
0: Um, so that's it from me in the news. I did just want to touch on trailers. Uh, I'll, I'll head that one off. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of came out of left field. Firstly, we saw kind of news reports that uh, he'd been reprising his role and been seen in public. But we had confirmation this week that Sasha Baron Cohen returns as Borat in yes. the sequel to the original Borat, which is freaking awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it did uh, sort of come out of nowhere, didn't it?
0: It did. He was kind of filming it in secret. There'd been some clips online of it being kind of shown of him filming. Um, mm. But anyway, not only did we get a title this week, we also got a trailer. So the full title of the Borat sequel is... Borat subsequent movie film delivery of prodigious bribe to American regime for make benefit once glorious nation of Kazakhstan, of <laughs> course, um, which could be interesting. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, looks pretty interesting. Uh, the trailer, more of the same. It's real life encounters with, with obviously Baron Cohen rushing running around in his Borat uh, guise, making kind of awkward comedy. There's a scene where he's obviously had a daughter. It appears that he's been in some kind of solitude in Kazakhstan. He plays off the fact that Sasha Baron Cohen brought shame to Kazakhstan. And uh, at the start, there's a scene where you see him in a mankini, almost crucified with someone throwing fruit at his genitals uh, in the streets of Kazakhstan. Um, There is a scene where he takes his daughter for an ultrasound scan of her unborn baby and ask the doctor if he also put baby in his daughter.
1: Um <laughs> Jesus. Uh, it's gonna it all... be ultimate cringe fest, isn't it? Like in it re- only it... the way that he can. It's it just really gonna is. make you like peel your eyelids like open just to carry on watching. Without a doubt. Um
0: there's another scene a bit like that. You also it was there's also a scene where you see him crash a Republican Party conference dressed as Donald Trump, like with a full-on Donald Trump mask, like a legit mask, yeah. um, with his daughter over his shoulder and interrupts an actual speech by US Vice President Mike Pence by shouting, Mikael Pinis, I have your girl for you.
1: <laughs> is it real?
0: Yes. Oh, my God. Uh, so this is coming out really soon. It's coming out on Amazon Prime this month. Oh, right. October 23rd. That's my birthday. Happy birthday, Phil. Just watch that on my
1: birthday. Happy birthday.
0: Uh, Just one aside. I remember once when I lived in Brighton, getting very, very drunk, coming home and uh, putting on the Borat DVD. And if anyone out there had the Borat DVD, you'll remember that it had the fake Kazakhstan national anthem uh, as the DVD menu music. And it would repeat over and over again. I remember watching the movie, pretty much the last thing I remember, waking up probably seven or eight hours later with my TV on full volume with the Kazakhstan (laughs) national anthem sung by, I guess, Sasha Baron Cohen on repeat with a cold kebab next to me in bed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? What's really funny about that? I've got like a really similar experience that I had, (laughs) but not, (laughs) not with the, uh, not with the Kazakhstan um, national anthem, but i I'd been out for a night in Brighton, got quite drunk i was staying at um, a couple of friends house and uh i went to sleep in their armchair in the living room <laughs> and when we got back to the house we were watching black books the uh yep. brilliant um comedy series and i don't know if you remember the theme for that but it's really like disjointed and quite it's very short and it's yeah it's quite it's not like a nice theme to listen to if you know what yeah, I mean, but yeah it suits it perfectly but it was that thing where they'd gone to bed and we left like the dvd on we were all quite wasted and uh, <laughs> the menu had gone back to the menu after the episode we were watching and i was asleep upright in an armchair and all i can remember is just fits of like consciousness and just hearing this horrific theme tune just repeating and it must only be about like 20 seconds long wow. <laughs> and it was horrible <laughs> It's that been is stuck awful. in my head ever since I don't know why I yeah. can't like get up and it's turn it you, it's off. It's basically
0: hypnotised, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. DVD menus. Bring them back. I want them on Netflix. Don't don't yeah. play what's coming up next. Just play a DVD menu music so
1: that the we can full to be hypnotised. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um Do you want me to do my trailers or have you finished for it. Done, yeah, yeah. Have you done it? Go So for it. I've just got a couple. Um, First one, Iron Mask, which is the new Jackie Chan uh, film. So this looks like it could be insane. Like it looks like it could be awesome. Like it looks really good from the trailer, as in visually, but it's probably going to be pretty terrible. (laughs) Um, I mean, the trailer features everything you want in a trailer. It's got Jackie Chan. It's got Arnold Schwarzenegger in a what do you call that kind of cuz it's set in the 1700s I think. So he's yeah, like, yeah.
0: kind of revolutionary period, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And uh it just looks mental. And it's got yeah, it's got the obviously the man. Isn't the Arnold
0: armor. Schwarzenegger a red coat in it as well? Yeah, he's a
1: red coat. He's got like one of the the wigs on like the sort of what I call them like judge's wigs, but you know what I mean, don't you? Like the with a little like bow a bit powdered wig, a powdered yeah. wig. And he's got an awesome uh, Tash as well, um, but it's got quite. A, it's got it's got in it as well. He was in that before he died because he died, didn't he? Recently. Wow,
0: that's, um, that's yeah. I mean, a little while ago, to be honest. Yeah, well, I think but this
1: was ready a while ago, but it's been delayed and stuff. Like Tears in the Rain, <laughs> and it's got Charles Dance in it as well. He looks, he's always good. Um, I wonder if that's the first thing he's been in with Arnie since the wonderful last action hero.
0: Does he have a glass eye in it with a smiley oh, face? I hope he does.
1: <laughs> oh, I love that film. Uh, so yeah, this looks like it could be fun. It's got lots of insane imagery. It's like fantasy. It's like there's dragons in it, and it's uh, it's about like a forbidden kingdom in the Far East, uh, something like that. But yeah, it looks crazy. Uh, big budget, crazy. Lots of stars and uh, action could be terrible. Um, And then the other one I saw, saw, which looked really good, actually, it's a um, film uh, called The Sound of Metal. And this is coming to Amazon Prime on the 4th of December. And it stars um, Riz Ahmed from... um, He was in Rogue One. And four lions and venom. He's been in a few bits. You'd recommend. Love him, him uh, in in uh, the the night of on HBO's
0: absolutely amazing.
1: Oh, okay, that. I've not seen that, but he's a amazing. great actor. He's he's really good, uh, and it also stars uh, Olivia Cook, who's in uh, Ready Player One, and it's about uh, uh basically he's a heavy metal drummer. He's in a band. He's a metal drummer, and he after like one gig he just starts to lose his hearing which is horrific the thought of it because I'm a you know I you know I play in bands myself and uh do a lot to protect my hearing but yeah it's so it's about him basically you know being in love with being a drummer and really enjoying his life of playing in in his band but then he just starts to lose his hearing overnight and it gets worse and worse and it's about his sort of journey going through losing his hearing and um well, it sort of seems like accepting it and whether it, you know, yeah, the trailer doesn't give away too much about it, but it looks like it could have really strong performances on it. it I think it, um, yeah, so that could be really good. Um, so, yeah, that's 4th of December on Amazon Prime that comes out.
0: Very cool. Looking forward to both of those for different reasons. <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, let's jump into this week's reviews. Um, I'm I'm happy to get us started off. Uh, so I, I sat down to watch, uh, unintentionally, I should say five episodes of Ratchet on uh, Netflix, which is the, uh, the new series or new Netflix original series by the ever industrious Ryan Murphy of Glee, American horror story, American crime story, people versus OJ, assassination of Gianni Versace, Pose, Hollywood, uh, fame.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and now this uh, once again starring his muse Sarah Paulson this time as the titular nurse Ratched uh, who's actually a character from the Jack Nicholson movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Nest. this is kind of a rat- <laughs> Ratchet begins I guess you could say um, but that's pretty much where the similarities end this is all about style and shock factor um, there's not a lot of it's not doesn't have a lot of depth or scares uh, it's, it's, it's really uh, hard to call it um, disingenuous because it knows exactly what it is. It's a camp colorful psychological thriller series. Um, basically, it, it revolves around Nurse Ratchet or Mildred Ratchet, who relocates to Northern California to work in a leading psychiatric hospital um, at the kind of, I'm guessing, kind of 1950s time, kind of 1950s set, which is the second thing this week I'm reviewing in the same period. <laughs> um in this, in this kind of, in this psychiatric hospital where there's recently been a, a murderous prisoner who's just been transferred, having committed uh, the violent murder of some priests, which we see right at the start of the first episode. Right. It's not a spoiler. Um,
1: this is actually, it's, it's
0: kind of once again, another look into the sexuality uh, kind of plot points that, that Murphy likes to to kind of raise. There's a lot of overarching themes of much of his work that will su- r- surprise few of his fans here. Um, I'm someone who was interested in the character and the stylistic nature of the show. I loved the assassination of Gianni Versace, really liked People vs. OJ, not really an American Horror Story fan. Um, this is probably more in line with American Horror Story um, in that, you know, uses many of the same kind of cast members from other Ryan Murphy projects. Um so, you know, I was probably hoping for a little bit more depth in line with the, the, the shows of his that I've, I've really enjoyed the most. Mm-hmm. Um, what we get really is a, is a very camp, uh, but nice looking, well cast, well directed ensemble piece. Um, it's really just there to kind of shock rather than have any depth beneath the surface. Uh, some interesting music choices that they use. They they obviously look good because it looks so good. It's then, you know, from a <clears throat> music perspective, very difficult to then create. Uh, a score for, for it, and they they actually kind of steal a lot of scores from classic kind of thrillers um, and suspense uh, pictures, like Hitchcock movies. Um, there's the score from Cape Fear. Um, there's, there's even even the main titles are the is the is the theme song from the opening titles of um, uh, Jonathan Creek, for example. Oh. So I don't think that was on purpose. I guess it was a piece of music, but they, they've they've used that. So. Um, a lot of the lot of the music kind of builds up to a golden era of suspense that kind of runs cold when you see it here because it's not it's not as smart as as any of those things, yeah. And, and obviously recognizable, <clears throat> it's soundtrack by such re- recognizable things. It's kind of hard for it to kind of keep up with that. The cast is really incredible though. You've got Sarah Paulson, Cynthia Nick- Nixon from Sex in the City, Sharon Stone, Amanda Plummer, Vincent D'Onofrio, um, Corey Stoll, who's always amazing. Um, and they all kind of take their share of the limelight. Uh, Sharon Stone's character is particularly ridiculous. She's a villanelle um, who's tending to her disabled yet spoiled son, who seemingly spends her time frequently answering the phone, desperate for updates from her henchman's progress in decapitating her rival. <laughs> um, to literally every scene, it just cuts to Sharon Stone, answering the phone with something like, what did his eyes look like when you cut his throat? I want his <laughs> head in my house now. <laughs> like this kind of thing. <laughs> um, so, you know, Netflix, once again, spares no expense, turns every, uh, you know, kind of what what, what you would say, like a traditional or basic kind of transitional shot in this, whether it's, you know, giving setting to a location or following some characters into a, a dramatic and super expensive flying crane shot following the characters floating up high above the trees and buildings and then coming back all that kind of stuff um which to be honest just a little bit like my attention frequently i was just wafting up through the clouds while watching this and rolling my eyes at some of the really laborious or camp dialogue right. uh, the, the i think i think the actors are having a great time i think they're they're all really enjoying it they seem to be in on the in in on the fun and having yeah. that kind of delicious fun with the parts but I think in general, I I appear to be a little bit outside of the joke with this. So, if only it was as fun to watch as it was to make. So, so sadly,
1: this for me gets a miss. Mm. How about yourself? Um, yeah, so I've got a couple to review. The first one is uh, I watched the first two episodes of Utopia, which is on Amazon Prime. And this is the uh, remake of the cult british channel 4 drama of the same name uh which was i think that was originally out in uh 2013 14 yep. and did two seasons um so it follows the story of a a group of young adults they they meet online and they all believe that basically this graphic novel would utopia has predicted uh, several epidemics. It's very relevant, isn't it? Um, and then they find out that um, basically these people discover right at the beginning of the first episode they discover uh, that a follow up to that to that graphic novel exists, and they basically discover it and find it, and they all travel to a convention to meet up in person where it's being auctioned, and they want to they want to buy this follow up to the comic because there's like a cult following on it. You know, there's loads of conspiracy theories about it. There's lots of, um, yeah, basically just loads of loads of people want to get hold of it basically to, because it's worth quite a bit as well. Um, but that's where it causes the shit to hit the fan in quite a large way, because as they have seen parts of it, they're then targeted by, uh, A mysterious organization who have the same goal of getting hold of it as well. Um, Now, I've I've not seen the British version of this, um, but I feel like I should now. Um, So I I can't compare them. But I've heard the originals
0: incredible. A lot, yeah. That's talk about being visually stunning.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of mutterings about this being another case of it's just something that just didn't need to be remade. You know, there's no reason for it to be picked up for an American audience and just remade in America. Um, but, you know, I've only watched the first two episodes. Um, I, and having not seen the original, I'm I'm quite enjoying it, actually, more than I thought I would. Um, it's got a bit of a slow start, but, um, you know, but again, most things do, because you have to establish the characters and get the backstory laid down, etc. But it ramps up unexpectedly quickly and i'm sure people that have seen the original know what i mean about that but i'm going to stay completely spoiler free here so and there's a lot that could be spoiled just from the first two episodes so i'm going to stay quiet on the action really about what happens in those um so the first four episodes are directed by um toby haynes and he's got a really big impressive list of tv credits to his name so he did black mirror he's done doctor who spooks and also being human uh and he's also currently working on the new cassian Andor star wars series for disney plus that's interesting because yeah uh, this week um
0: oh what's his name was uh he was removed from the show he left as, as the showrunner it'll come to me in a minute um so that's interesting because oh, what for cassian andor yeah oh, all yeah. right okay Because Cassian
1: Andor's the character from Rogue One, isn't he? Yeah, correct. Which is my favourite of the newest Star Wars films. Yeah, mine too. Mine too. uh, So, yeah, so he's obviously got good TV credit and it it, it all looks really good as well. You know, it it runs really well. Um, Cast wise, it seems like, you know, they've all been, they've got a good ensemble cast. It's got a couple of heavy hitters with the likes of John Cusack playing um um uh, he's like a medical entrepreneur uh dr kevin christie and uh, we've also got rain wilson in there who you know from the american office uh he plays a sort of forgotten uh university scientist who predicted viruses in the past
0: does he own uh, a does he own a farm called Shroot
1: farms <laughs> he does have a beat a beet farm no i'm afraid not <laughs> um the main cast, though, because they're sort of you know they are they they're introduced a little bit later in the second episode, but the main young group uh, to me are relatively unknown, but um, I've really enjoyed their um, performances. Um, I really like uh, Christopher Denham, who plays a character called Arby, who's basically one of the guys hunting the group. He is so creepy, <laughs> uh, and he plays this really creepy, nerdy, torturing like maniac really well <laughs> so he's a bit of a standout Don't for we me all. so far <laughs> if we do <laughs> um so yeah i know it's a brief look at it but there's so there's so much to spoil if i went into anything that happens in the episodes because there's just a lot as i said it goes out of the gate flat flying so uh if you want something that's fast-paced immediate sort of lots of stuff happening give it a watch i, re- I really enjoy it so far i'll probably carry on and it's on uh, Amazon Prime at the moment. Is it all episodes there now or is it... I like believe gripping? so, yes. I think it is. Well, they've um,
0: learned from the boys then because they've been drip feeding that one episode at a time each week and it's infuriating. Mm. Well, that's oh, yeah. that's good to hear. I know uh, the, the reason I didn't watch the original UK version is because around the time that they were collaborating on Gone Girl, Gillian Flynn, the, the writer, and uh, David Fincher had mm. actually um put this into production and i was waiting for finch's utopia um, yeah so i read that he course, was yeah he was it on it
1: but then it didn't work out did it it
0: it didn't no it didn't so i so i was kind of hoping for that and that's why i left off watching because david finch is probably my favorite director and obviously i wanted to wait for it and see that so um I might, in fact, go back and watch the UK version because I've heard from people that have seen both that they preferred the UK version. This shouldn't really exist, blah blah blah, as you said. Mm. Um, but I might do that and then and then kind of come back to this if if I want to see a, a kind of a different spin on it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. You've definitely intrigued me now, so um, I'm I'm definitely interested.
1: You should watch it. Yeah, I mean, I, as I said, I think that's probably the good way around to do it. I want I think I'm going to go and watch the, the the British one now, and mm-hmm. then then I might like restart this one okay. and see how they compare. All um, right. So that's
0: a recommendation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: All right. Speaking of potential recommendations, tell us about Enola
1: Holmes. Enola Holmes. So yeah, this is the other one that I watched. This is the, it's the new family friendly take on the world of Sherlock Holmes. Um, But before you start yawning, um, as I sort of did when I heard what it was about, this isn't about old Sherlock himself, Miles. No, it's not. It's is it about not? His, no, it's not. It's about his younger sister, Anola. Um, isn't that? Play, isn't isn't that alone spelt backwards? Do you know what it is? Yeah, it is. Uh, so Enola's <laughs> played by the brilliant Millie Bobby Brown, who I'm sure you know as Eleven. These go to Eleven. And, <laughs> um, and it's directed by British director Harry Bradbeer. Uh, it's based on a series of young adult books by American author Nancy Springer, as well. So obviously, she's you know, released this series of books to appeal to the the younger Not audience. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Arthur Conan Doyle's estate, yes. But obviously oh, goodness gracious me! <laughs> Um, So we follow the adventures of Enola, who, after the death of her father uh, and the departure of her older brothers, she's been basically raised up by her eccentric mother, Eudoria, who's played Mm -hmm. by the uh, ever amazing Helena Bonham Carter. Um, And then one morning she wakes up to find that uh, her mum's gone. She's left and all she's left her with is like a box of gifts which contain clues. Uh, and this sparks like the main backbone of the story as uh, Enola goes to explore. Actually, what it looks is a really impressive CGI rendering of Victorian London. I thought it looked really good, actually, this film. Uh, and then along the way, she crosses paths with various characters, one of them being the young Lord Viscount Tewksbury, um, played by Lewis Partridge, um, where they both find that they have a common goal in mind. But um, well, of course, chooks so, is anything but common. <laughs> of course, it is. <laughs> um, so this is set um, in the run-up to the Representation of the People Act of 1884, uh, which, if you didn't know, laid the groundwork for women's suffrage. Um, although it's quite a light-hearted film for the most part, it's it also re- reflects well the inequality of the era and shows some of the more sort of violent uh aspects of the women's suffrage movement with regards to you know the protests and things which were quite rightly put on um performance wise uh, in my opinion i don't think there's much to fault in the performances in this i think the cast is really good millie bobby brown she's great in it it's really good to see her um, giving like a witty, confident performance um, uh, with, a, with its fair share of drama as well. Um, I think, you know, when you're known for something as ridiculously popular as Stranger Things, it's going to be difficult to break out of that character when it's sort of the only thing that most people would have seen her in. It's going to be difficult to break out of that kind of role. But I think she does a brilliant job in this. Um Henry Cavill is in it. He plays Sherlock himself, the big man. Um, He does a good job. Uh, And Sam Claflin, he plays uh, the other Holmes brother, Mycroft Holmes, and he does a great job uh, at making you hate him, um, as he did in uh, (laughs) Peaky Blinders, which I recognized it from straight away. He plays uh, the upper-class smug twat quite perfectly, I think. <laughs> Don't we um, all, darling? Don't we all? <laughs> if you could hurry along with the review, that'd be wonderful, thanks. I do have a train to catch. Steam train. Um, weirdly, there's a lawsuit going on with this, with the makers of the film at the moment, Legendary Pictures, because... The, oh, really? Yeah, the Arthur Conan Doyle estate. Right, This is odd. This is really weird. The Arthur Conan Doyle estate uh, that believe that it shows... Sherlock Holmes showing too much warmth and kindness in his character. What? Which they feel infringes on the copyrighted stories of the Conan Doyle estate mean so so it's, its own... very un-British to show that kind of warmth. <laughs> yeah. I know, it's really weird, isn't it? Cuz he's not, you know, he's not the main character in it. He's obviously no. quite a big character in it. But no. it's uh that's quite a weird one, isn't it? That is um, very I think weird. it's because the rights to the early Sherlock Holmes stuff, if I've read this correctly, are sort of uh what they call them in, like the public domain, but they mm. still own the rights to the later stuff and it's the later stuff in which he um does become a bit more of a softer character. So they're but, basically
0: saying the character's contradictory to the earlier Holmes. Yes. They're showing more of the later version of Holmes, which is I believe, the which only. they still own the rights to. Right, yeah, still it's private. A bit, uh, mm. Yeah, it's a bit mm. of a
1: very old one. Um, but I, you know, aside from all that, I really enjoyed it. I think it, it moves along at a good pace. The performances are really good. It's got the good balance of comedy and drama. And I think also you get the feeling that this could really open up a whole realm of uh, either like a new, you know, more sequels for this uh, or maybe a TV series with Enola um, and, you know, just help to make the Sherlock Holmes world appeal to a younger audience as well. Um, Yeah, so I liked it. It's a recommendation from me and it's available now on Netflix. Nice. Nice. I'm, I'm,
0: I've seen it as well. I'm a, I'm a little bit more on the negative to you. Yeah. Um, I agree with pretty much everything you say though. Uh, I don't really disagree with anything that you've said. I just, for me, it just wasn't for me. It just, it, you know, I did, I, I didn't, it didn't really capture me the way that I think it would do younger viewers. I don't think it was made for for me. I don't think I'm the target audience. Um, hmm. you say Millie Bobby Brown's performance, really good. Everyone's in It's very good. Um, but it just i don't know it seemed to be lacking something i also found it i found it maybe a little bit of a cynical attempt to create something that was kind of more designed for a younger female audience and maybe not i mean why wasn't it directed by a woman you know why if 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 this yeah. is you know it, it it didn't really seem to me to be to have that kind of connective tissue i'll tell you what it felt like to me i don't know if you've seen this and this is interesting because harry Bradbeer also directed multiple episodes of this it felt like a teenage victorian version um of fleabag because millie bobby brown is constantly addressing the camera and giving this kind of smug nudge nudge wink wink uh oh you know oh, Jukesbury's coming to town looks at camera wink um that kind of Isn't thing i quite it, like it, that it, yeah but I know, I know, and it's it's definitely along the lines of a, of a teenage Victorian flea bag. There's there's that connective tissue there. Fine, but it almost just feels like they've said, "What's a good strong female character?" Well, I directed some episodes of Fleabag. Let's make now another Holmes. We'll just basically do the same thing, but we'll put it in a different a different setting. I just found right. it. I, I didn't. You know what I mean? Maybe I just watched too much. TV and too many yeah, movies. Yeah, I've
1: not seen Fleabag, so I'm not sure. What, um... I think,
0: yeah, I think, I think there's for me there's that anyway. I just I found that you know, and and I I loved I loved the setting, you know. Obviously, you know, the women's suffrage movement, um, you know, anti misogyny in, in in the plot points and 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 pro women's women's votes and all that kind of thing within the within the within the the kind of plot itself. Love all mm. that. It just went a little bit too hard on that point for, for me didn't feel like it didn't feel smart i didn't think it was clever you know what i mean i just found it a little bit of a blunt instrument and not really clever enough to get that message across yeah and, and, it, and in that way for me it kind of diluted diluted it a little bit more as i said no issues with the performances no issue with really with the plot no issue with other than halfway through when the mission kind of changes for no apparent reason and then Focuses on something on finding someone else rather than finding the other person. Yeah, I suppose that's really bit, bit, uh, yeah. kind of a bit. Yeah. Oh, weird you know what? Change. I've decided I'm going to do this now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird. Um. But you know, all, all in all, as I said, I'm not the target audience. You know, maybe it's a little bit lost on me. But um. But you yeah, know, I can see why why it's a, a recommendation, and I don't hmm. disagree with you. Um. So there you go. That's Is that our first official Movie Mouth argument? Is that an argument? Mummy, Daddy,
1: <laughs> I think we need are to you getting some, divorced? I think we need to spend some time apart, Miles. <laughs> not with other people. Not with other hosts, surely. I'm going to um, other podcasts.
0: <laughs> I'm leaving. Uh, so I will finish out the reviews and uh, Fargo season four. I'm not going to give any spoilers for Fargo uh, this is only, by the way, off the back of two episodes that I've managed to review, so obviously right. this could change. Um, but I'm a long-term fan of of the Fargo series. I remember when I first heard that the Cohen's classic movie Fargo was being made into a TV show, uh, probably about five years ago, I guess. I remember thinking, this is this is going to work. Like, why can't they just come up with an original idea for a show? Like, why make a TV show of a movie that's already you know a classic, right? Yeah. Five years on, um what the fuck was I thinking about? Because Noah Hawley, the showrunner, the writer, the director, he's a genius, genius. And he proved everyone wrong with the first three seasons of Fargo. Um, All highly recommended by me. Um, For those not in the know, Fargo, the TV series, it bases each season um, in and around or eventually leading to the the town of Fargo, North Dakota. Um, Each season is set in a different time period. So you know, different characters. Some of them kind of relate to others, but in the most part, they're different characters, and not really kind of a continuation. Mm. Um, different actors, of course, as well. And each each episode, each season is is an individual chronicle of deception, murder, or villainy. So you know, it always kind of revolves around some form of crime taking place, usually at the hands of a bumbling buffoon or a, uh, a spineless protagonist. Um, so so each season is painstakingly assembled uh with a beginning uh, to end uh, embarrassment of riches in the cast department um season one you had billy bob thornton and martin freeman season two patrick wilson jesse plemons and kirsten dunst who are now husband and wife in real life uh season three ewan mcgregor playing two people playing twins um and carrie coon which i absolutely love that season as well um and with no real destination in sight, Fargo kind of feels like it could just go on forever. <laughs> um, because, you know, every season when it comes out, it's kind of different. Same theme, same kind of vibe, but but different. Yeah, like it hasn't got um, anything to wrap up. No, it doesn't like, really. It's like watching Columbo. <laughs> you can watch exactly. Columbo forever. <laughs> exactly. <you can. laughs> just one last question. Um. So... Yeah, with no destination in sight, I think that Hawley has the option to kind of fit this in here and there between some of his other projects. Legion was one of the big ones that he managed, which was a a Marvel FX season that kind of centered around uh, kind of the early days of Professor X's X-Men. But it was really trippy, like balls to the wall. I saw one episode of it and I loved it, but unfortunately I didn't manage to finish any more of it, but I want to go back and watch it. Season four of Fargo is no exception. This season moves to Kansas City, Missouri, um, and in the cast stakes we have Chris Rock, Jason Schwartzman, Ben Wishaw, and last week's star of "I'm Thinking of Ending Things," Jesse Buckley, as a mysterious nurse from North Dakota. So this opens in a real, a really cool Cohen fashion. Um, there's these kind of uh, there are these two two gangs that are always or one gang that's always running uh, Kansas City. And it goes back to kind of, you know, maybe post-Civil War era, a bit like gangs of New York, but it's gangs of, of, of Kansas City. And we kind of see a montage of the generational movement or shift of power from these gangs as they manage Kansas City. And then, you know, the, if originally it's the kind of Jewish gang, then it's the, uh, the Italian mob, and you see the kind of changing of power as it goes and how each, uh, each kind of trade of power revolves around a trade between the two mobs uh, of a son for a son. They trade their youngest son for the youngest son. And then that youngest son is raised. So you have a Jewish guy that's being raised by the Italians and and so on and so forth. Right. So anyway, this is all in the past. This is just a kind of historic montage. It we get brought up to speed in the mostly 1950s autumnal setting. Um, There's the death of a crime boss and the son needing to compensate in his wake, of course, except instead of this being Michael Corleone. Here we have Jason Schwartzman, who has a real insecure and a powder sniffing, uh, kind of spineless, weak, new boss struggling with power play, basically, um, between him with his weaker nature and his fresh off the boat Italian brother, Gaetano, the, the violent yin to his yang um here kind of there to kind of shake down the the rival gang so elsewhere we see chris rock the leader of an african-american gang um who's the the rivalry to the italian mob that are really in power here um so at the time of this weakness of this mob boss dying in the italian gang chris rock and his his gang kind of are moving in and, and absorbing more power but there's this mutual respect between the two leaders between the two gangs um, and Chris Rock has a real humble, morally superior kind of quality to him as a leader and a racketeer. Um, I usually, to be honest, struggle with Chris Rock's acting, but here he's really given it his all. And I'm, I'm actually quite excited to see where his character develops because um, there's there's a lot unsaid at the moment, but you, you pick up a lot of vibe off of him. Yeah. Um, so I'm hopeful that the, the the kind of mercilessly murderous Noah Hawley actually lets us get to that point because, you know, he's known for like knocking characters off when you least expect it. Um <laughs> Other turns I really enjoyed here. Jessie Buckley, uh, obviously from last week, so I'm thinking of ending things. Um, she takes over from the kind of Billy Bob Thornton type role from the first season, which will make sense to people if they've seen that. So the less said about that, the better. Because we don't really know her intentions here, but she's there's, there's something not right with her. Um, plus Jack Houston, who uh, was in the first season of, of Boardwalk Empire uh, or a couple of seasons. And he appear, appears here as a detective with severe ocd issues and physical tics really interesting character only comes in uh towards the beginning of the second episode but i'd like to i'm really looking forward to seeing where he develops so Hmm. once again visually arresting stunning piece of work if obviously cold and dreary like all of the de facto fargo seasons they're always in winter or autumn you know there are no leaves on the trees there's snow there's sludge whatever um I dread them to film a season of Fargo during the winter, uh, during the summer, because it just wouldn't be Fargo without, you know, some sludge or like puddles or snow or some crap flying up in the air. Um, what you've really come for here is the writing. Once again, the dialogue, top draw. You know, anyone that can take a Coen Brothers movie and turn it into an extended season is going to be a genius. And Noah Hawley is a genius. Um, so as far as television goes, this is top draw. This is a. This is an A title on any other platform like HBO, Netflix, or Amazon. And FX themselves have done a great job with this show, really. I mean, this would be... If it was HBO, I think this would be on everyone's TV. Um, I'm only two episodes in. It's weekly on FX Hulu in the States currently. I think it's also in Europe at the same time. Um, I'm, I'm hoping... Uh, that the intrigue starts to build because it doesn't necessarily rear its head at the start of, of season four in the way that it did in the other three seasons. So all of which I was addicted to from the off this season, it's got the worrying potential to slide on my to-do list. And I can't say as yet, if this is essential viewing, but I'm hoping that it opens up a bit later because the last season of Fargo came out in 2017. So three years on Mm -hmm. season four arrives Um I don't know if you've heard much about it, but pretty little fanfare anywhere really. It wasn't a huge launch. I've not four. seen it
1: advertised anywhere. No. Um, um, and that's 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 yeah. the
0: worry because I'm hopeful this still finds an audience as I want more of them. And it also makes me think that maybe the interest within the plot, you know, the the kind of hooks and the angle could have been higher, maybe considering they had three years to come up with a story. So Both of the rival gangs appear to have kind of little character development for the first couple of episodes. So hopefully the next few episodes make us care a little bit more about their plight. And, you know, as the stakes kind of increase, um, so does the kind of drama. That said, you know, as a bias certified fan of Noah Hawley and his writing and his visual style, I love all previous seasons. I'm hoping this turns into another classic. Um, So, of course, it is a recommendation. I just can't say it's essential just yet, but maybe on on a later Episode, I will. So that's Fargo. Mm -hmm. Season four. Everywhere. Now. So coming up next, it's Video Store Corner. (laughs) So... On this week's Video Store Corner, we have the 1995 masterpiece, (laughs) Um, video game adaptation, Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat! Phil, you seen this one before?
1: Uh, I have, but it was a long, long time ago.
0: Long time. Are we a fan Um, of the game?
1: Oh, yeah. I love the game.
0: Yeah. So for those of you not in the know, this this is based on a very photorealistic... Uh, graphic in terms of violence and gore. Um, 2D beat them up back in the day. Um, arc- arcade first, You know, Sega, um, Nintendo, all that. Brilliant game. Everyone loved it back in the day. They decided to turn it into a movie, which in most cases, as you'll know, Super Mario Brothers, Street Fighter, etc, etc.
1: I like um, Super Mario Brothers. I'm just pointing that
0: out. You're an idiot. Um, are usually terrible. In this case, um, it's the greatest movie of all time. So let me let me summarize the plot here. So three um, martial artists are basically, in some ways, are kind of summoned, in some ways, kind of tricked into uh, into joining a tournament, which has been um, put together by a half kind of god, evil kind of devil type character called Shang Tsung from, quote-unquote, the other realm. And this tournament is a martial arts tournament that for some reason decides the fate of the planet. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That entire planet. The entire planet. Of course. Um, Of course. So um, in this case, the heroes are brought to a mysterious island uh, to compete in the tournament. And they come up against various foes from within the video game until a champion can be crowned um so that's pretty much the plot Uh, that makes a lot more sense of it than if you actually watch this movie (laughs) it really does phil um is this movie your favorite movie of all time and if not why not
1: no is the straight answer (laughs) because it's awful um don't get me wrong. It's watchable and it's got some cool bits, but it just doesn't make any sense. none of it makes any sense
0: okay so if we if we were to give this 10 points for anything, it would mm. be for would, being a perfect video game adaptation would it not? yeah
1: that's one thing that is really got going for it is it looks good it's true to the games yep and even when they're doing the fights at the tournament which some of which are a bit shit, which we'll talk about later. But even then they stage some of them as if they were game. Like they cut cameras to the side, you know, silhouette cameras where it's like the game screen basically, which I really like. Yeah. So you can't fault it for being true to the game character wise, costume wise, all that stuff.
0: I also think in terms of the cast, I think you've got a really good cast actually in the most part I'll start with what what I think goes right with the cast. Yeah, and maybe you can talk a little bit about what goes wrong. But I, yeah. I would say uh, Liu Kang, Robin Shu as Liu Kang, um, the titular martial arts hero, is kind of Bruce Lee light with a uh, incredible hairstyle. What um, a mullet! It's uh, it's just the most, isn't it? Just the the fluffiest, softest. It looks like you could sleep in that mullet. You could. You could climb in there and sleep in it. Yeah, you'd have the best night's sleep of your life, and his shoulders would be strong enough to
1: support me sleeping in his mullet as <sighs> well, which is a plus.
0: Some fan fan art coming soon.
1: Uh, <laughs> oh you just photoshopped
0: onto curled Kang's up in a head. mullet. Um, Johnny Cage, Lyndon Ashby, who I think is also amazing casting. Johnny Cage is uh, basically a Hollywood actor who is in all these martial arts movies and doesn't feel like. He's being taken seriously in terms of his martial arts skills, so he decides to to join this tournament and prove to the press that he can actually kick some ass. Um, you then also have Sonia Blade, who is only ever referred to as Sonia Blade in this movie. Uh, Sonia, not Sonia, and not Sonia, but Sonia Blade. Sonya. Has anyone seen Sonia Blade? Um, Bridget Wilson, um, who of course went on to marry Pete Sampras. And give up acting. And she was also the teacher in uh, Billy Madison, for those of you that remember the Adam Sandler comedy. And she was in Last Action Hero as well. She, oh, she's, yeah, that's right. Who was she Arnie, in? Arnie's daughter. Yes. Jump down. Um, <laughs> Talisa Soto was Kitana, Princess Kitana, who, of course, um, was in uh, one of the Bond movies. Um which was licensed to kill. Oh. Um, and actually was one of the only other actors alongside Robin Shu to turn up in the sequel to this, uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, but the less said about that, the better. Mm-hmm. And I think possibly the best in the cast, Trevor
1: Goddard as Kano.
0: Come on, <laughs> baby. Give me a break. He um amazing. Uh,
1: I'm not gonna disrespect the dead because I just read that I read not long ago that he died. Uh, quite early on when he was 40. So not mm-hmm. too long after this was made, but uh, he's bloody awful in it. Isn't I he? think he's really good. I don't know. I, I cut him
0: ear to ear. Um <laughs> He was also, uh, I read about this actually. He, yeah, he had a really sad um, demise, but uh, in terms of his professional career, he never really went on to any kind of significant leading roles but he was considered as Pierce Brosnan's replacement as James Bond in Casino yeah, Royale. I read that true story.
1: Wow, I can't see it. Mm. But uh, yeah. but I, I
0: I thought he was he was good. And I also thought um, uh, Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa as Shang Tsung was pretty good as well.
1: He was really good.
0: Uh, Your soul is mine, <laughs> and uh, fools you. You're, every other line in this movie. <laughs> Is about souls being Everyone someone, being owned to someone or being sucked out or being a fool. Everyone in this movie is, or a group of people are always referred to as fools.
1: I want to see a recut of this where every time he says fool, Mr. T pops up from behind him and says fool as well. No, he, he says, you fools. And then Mr. T pops up and says, "Ah, pity the fools. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like every time he does it. Yeah. I, want to, I might make that. I might actually make that. Like his little right hand man. Yeah. Just pops up behind his shoulder. Let's let's talk
0: about let's talk about the bad casting. I think there's only really one one element of bad casting in this and I feel like this person being attached to this movie was the reason it got made at this time. Yeah, potentially. Go on. Christopher Lambert <laughs> as Lord Raiden. You you remember that Asian character with the um uh he had the the kind of quintessential Vietnamese uh kind of straw hat. Yeah, the kind of pointy straw hat. Yeah. Um, for some reason, played by Christopher Lambert, for no apparent reason in this, <laughs> clearly a Western actor. Uh, really unusual. Um, also doesn't fight throughout the whole movie at all, at ever. All. No, which is rubbish because Raiden's amazing in the game. He is amazing, and he is—he's one of the main characters. Yeah. In this, he just kind of turns up and gives advice to our three heroes, um, like a kind of Yoda type kind of obi-wan force ghost type character mm. um with lightning in his eyes <laughs> yeah uh, uh, uh.
1: um the thing is was- when he got when he got like introduced in the film i laughed out loud at his introduction because it, it, he's got the hat on to start with it's like the only time he wears the hat like the raiden hat yeah and um you know he appears there are in like this temple and there's loads of um Monks around, isn't there? And then he sort of appears, and everyone's like, "Oh, it's Raiden!" And they get on their knees, and they're like bowing down. And you don't, you can't see his face; you just see his hat. He's got his head tilted down. It's just the hat. And then uh, close up, hat gradually goes upwards, and then there's Christopher Lambert, and you're like, "What the hell? Why is it Christopher? La- Why is it Christopher Lambert?" And they're all
0: like, "Lord Raiden, Lord Raiden." Yeah. Um,
1: odd. Yeah, yeah. Um, wouldn't I'm- get away with it now, would they?
0: No, though no, they definitely would not get away with it now. That's for sure. No. Um, Scorpion, Sub Zero in this as well. Reptiles in this as well. They all look pretty cool. They are all, all like, good. Yeah. They're
1: all really cool. They yeah. look good, you yeah. know. And they're some of like the most iconic characters in games, I'd say. Like, mm. You know, especially like Sub Zero and Scorpion.
0: Instantly recognizable. Yeah, and the costumes are fine. So I think you know, like from a casting perspective, everything looked good. I also one thing I would also say about this. The locations are mm. incredible. Considering, oh yeah, like okay, like towards the end of the movie, it kind of ends up in this kind of weird green screen place. Um, but in the most part, the 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 island that they go to at the
1: beginning <laughs> looks amazing. Are uh, you saying? The- Wait a minute. We might have a disagreement here. You know. So, are you talking about where they go to where there's the final fight in the tower, like the ta- like the where they get? Through that portal, and they turn up, and there's this street that's like lined with the dead people. All that looks, all that is
0: terrible. All that's terrible.
1: Oh, it, but, but I don't. I was looking at that quite closely. I don't think any of that is green screen. No, it's not. No, 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 it's not. The it's set, like it's a the, giant, but it's a giant set that is massive. It's like set. they
0: found some kind of fact, derelict factory, and they've just like put a load of rubble around it with all these like people. Crucified I don't know because the building characters.
1: was like really weird. I don't think it was. I think they built some weird, like massive thing. I'd be interested to know more about that. That's because the I other realm, isn't it?
0: You're talking about the other realm that the they got at the end. Yeah. yeah. Um but the at the beginning, like I think the real world environments I really liked. Like even even um at the start with the temple and all that filming around that as well. Uh Paul W. S. Anderson, the the director, I think did some really good um d- kind of direction around that. There was this mm. almost like uh almost like um Documentary level of filmmaking. There is a really nice dolly shot as well, where the camera kind of goes up and floats up over the temple. Yeah, um, and and at the end, that the the kind of one of the closing scenes where all the kids with the blue and white flags are running.
1: Oh, that's really the cool. That is yeah. amazing.
0: A really, really yeah. cool. Like high level of filmmaking. But then there is some some other elements I think in this that that slightly let that down. The main part part that I am talking about is the fight between Johnny Cage and uh, someone we haven't mentioned yet. Prince Goro, who is this kind of guy that has like this huge guy that has forearms and uh, and was the, the kind of previous champion. But he and has is, four what? arms, not just forearms. No, no, no. He's got forearms. He's he got, has I'll two sets you. of arms. i tell you what, he has got forearms, got, hasn't he? He has got terrifyingly strong forearms. Look at the forearms on that. <laughs> He's got um, two sets of arms there's there's that scene where he fights him that's a terrible fight by the way because it's basically a kick in the balls um a punch no it's a punch in the nuts uh some crushed sunglasses and then slipping and falling off of a cliff um, yeah but that that whole moment when he emerges out of the cave the, the green screen on that is dreadful
1: that is awful yes yeah, really and bad. the moment
0: when he when goro falls into the weird storm um yeah inside but, the mountain
1: i will say though because, again, Goro's a big character in the game. Mm-hmm. and He's this like myth. One, well, just a little side point. I don't know why they don't batter an eyelid when they see Goro for the first time, really. Yeah. You know, they've never seen some... If you walked down the street or got taken somewhere and they said you're going to f- fight some people and then suddenly this, like, nine-foot weird ogre-looking creature with four arms uh, came out, you'd be like, what the fuck is going on? The one thing I would say,
0: though, aren't you happy that they either, A, didn't have enough for computer-generated images at that time? It would um, have
1: looked awful if it was computer-generated. Yeah,
0: or B, didn't just like stick a couple of extra arms on some bald guy. No,
1: it really is. It, it, that's got one. It, I think that's actually quite a strong point for it because it's got to be quite difficult to do that. But it did look good. Yeah, it's this. Um, it's this it's, animatronic upper torso. Yeah. It's old-school animatronic. Yeah, stuff. It reminded me completely of um, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, very much so. Um, Ninja Hero Turtles, almost um, like a,
0: almost like someone melted two of them down and then, <laughs> <laughs>
1: and that's what was left. They yeah, just and that was plug the yeah, arms in,
0: just make it Goro. And yeah. The only thing I would say is that, like with a lot of the, the animatronics of those ages. And and the one that I, it reminds me of the most in terms of the facial movements and the way that it's kind of jerking around and ah the mouth is always ah eyes rolling about eyes rolling about yeah with the mouth open looking yeah. from left to right is Arnold Schwarzenegger on the surface of Mars in Total
1: <laughs> yeah you definitely. know what I mean he looks just like that hundred <laughs> percent I think the other thing that annoyed me about Goro is all he did was uh shout all he did was go ah yeah with his arms in the air is that like Arnie? who was inside him trying to get out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Two weeks. <laughs> um, Do you have any fruits or vegetables? So, yeah, so like I think I think that was all those things. I think there, there are a lot of positives going for this for this movie. Um, and that's pretty much where it ends. Because we then move into uh what what can only be described as um terrible writing. Um some some fun one-liners I think that get thrown out there, and this mm. this movie I don't know about you if you've got any best lines, um, but there's some there's some absolute corkers in this. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely a '90s movie, isn't it?
1: Oh, a hundred percent, it's a '90s movie. I mean, one of them that springs to mind immediately, and this is at the end of what is built up to be like the best fight. It's going to be Sonya Blade. Against Kano, because at the beginning of the film you see Sonya Blade is she's some member of some elite task force, which we never know. It's like it's not the police, it doesn't seem like the FBI We don't know what it is, but she mm. seems to be in uniform hunting down Kano because he's killed her partner. Uh and then throughout the entire film, she's like, I'm gonna get him. Kano's like, Oh, I can't wait to fight her. <laughs> and <laughs> then uh you know it takes ages all this build up and then at the tournament they have their fight and it is the shittest fight you will ever see. they just slap each other a couple of times a couple yep. of punches in there and then what happens miles she does a
0: Sonia blade does a handstand while Kano is just kind of stood there uh nonchalant and manages to from that position roll him onto the ground with her with his head directly between her thighs in a very sexual way. Yep. And uh, Kano begs for his life. No. Sonya, don't. Please, babe. (laughs) Come on. Give me a break. To which uh, Sonya replies. (laughs) Okay. And then twists her thighs and breaks his neck and his light goes off in his fake Terminator 2 head.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yeah, powering down.
0: Thing. John Connors just stood there.
1: Nah. <laughs> he just does the thumbs up. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, you my father. That's probably my favourite line. I know
0: now why you cry, babe. <laughs> but it's something I can never do.
1: Wow. Yeah. Um, that's the line that
0: sticks to my um this, my. Uh, there, there are so many. I like there's, I like Johnny Cage in this. Johnny Cage for me. I think when I was a kid, Johnny Cage for me. I was like, this is this is brilliant. He's basically like a kind of Tom Cruise or, you know, this kind of character, isn't he? And uh, Johnny yeah. Cage, Johnny Cage has this like whole dialogue with Sonya. They're all getting really worried because one of their friends gets killed. And uh, and she, Sonya says to him, "Oh, I can't believe this. You're the most egotistical, self deluded person I've ever met." And Johnny Cage goes, "Yeah, well, you forgot good looking." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so little things like that. Um Goro, when he rips off his glasses and just like Johnny Cage for no apparent reason is wearing glasses when he when he's when he's like brought to the big fight against the reigning champion Goro, and this night. It's the middle glass. of the night. It's, it's and it's the middle of the night and they're inside a, ca- a cave.
1: The <laughs> one um, place you don't need sunglasses and, is in a mysterious island in the middle of a night in a cave. <laughs>
0: inside a cave versus a nine-foot ogre with four arms. Mm. Uh, Goro, as he's an animatronic, very slowly reaches over to Johnny Cage's face because obviously, you know, everything Goro does in this, punching, whatever it is, is very slow.
1: It is. He just well slowly reaches ah! over, ah!
0: <laughs> takes the glasses off of Johnny Cage's face, and just crushes them with his hand. And then uh, Johnny Cage Ninja punches, Ninja punches him in the nuts, runs through, runs off. Literally, Johnny Cage punches Goro in the nuts and runs away. Yes. Climbs up inside a cave, found, finds himself on a ledge, hides on the side of the ledge so that Goro can't see him. This is how, this is, this is our hero, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he hides on the side of the cave, on the exit of the cave, so that Goro can't see him. Goro emerges, turns around, and Johnny Cage, before kicking Goro into the infinite storm that is below them off this ledge, mutters the immortal line. Those were five hundred dollars sunglasses, asshole. <laughs> and then just kicks him <laughs> off the edge, and you just see Goro, who's been like, falls into this kind of this this kind of storm, like ah, like falling. But rather than him actually falling, all they've done is they've just shrunk the image of Goro. They just laid him on the floor, and he's they've laid him on the about. floor, filmed him from up high, and then they've just filmed that on a green screen, and then they've just shrunk him. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely classic. I think. I think you know. We talked about Shang Tsung. Your soul is mine. Uh, yeah. Just the whole way through this, it's just obsessed with souls. Your, your soul. I will take all of your souls. Your soul is mine. Your brother's soul is mine. It's like how many different permutations on the term "your soul is mine" can one man come up with? <laughs> um, yeah.
1: You know that receptionist from the hotel we stayed in. Her soul is mine. <laughs> Um look inside my eyeballs, can you see? I don't
0: I don't even know if that if that was kind of uh game logic where it, when when people die, the souls get sucked into the iris of Shang Tsung.
1: I can't um, remember. Ah no
0: Trying to <laughs> cling on to their bodies and then they're like sucked out of their bodies into his eyeball. Yeah. Um and then they a little sparkle. Boop. So, like when the <laughs> Ghostbusters trap has got the ghost inside, it goes the lights come on. That's basically yeah. Shang Tsung's eyes. The light is green. The trap is clean. Um, <laughs> uh, um, the eyes are blue. The soul is a mine. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there are some great one-liners in this. It's and it's a good like get drunk and watch movie for that reason. Yeah. Uh, best scene? Well, I, I actually, I'll, rest- I'll restate that. Best fight
1: scene. I'm going to go with. Um, I mean, there's a couple, but I think I quite enjoyed. Although the end, which we talk about in a minute, end of this scene. So the Johnny Cage versus Scorpion scene.
0: Get over here. Yeah, that's all Get just down really here. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: that's all just which is really something weird. my stepdad used
0: to shout quite a lot when I was a kid. <laughs> What, get and I was in my room, and it was time for dinner.
1: Get, get down here! <laughs> was he dressed like scorpion?
0: Exactly, and right. he had a little uh, snake-like tentacle that came out of his uh, palm—the palm
1: of his hand. Yeah, weird. Uh, but yeah, that whole scene. So it starts in like the wo- like Johnny Cage is having a little walk through the woods, and then suddenly Scorpion just arrives. It's like hello, <laughs> waves Joe's it like, in with his palm. Don't you see? He doesn't arrive. He does like a, a cartwheel into the
0: middle of the forest. <laughs> Yeah. clearing in the forest, <laughs> like
1: he's just having a jolly cartwheel through the forest. It's <laughs> yeah, like, oh, let's have a yeah. fight. Yeah, cartwheel, cartwheel, Johnny Cage, stop, let's fight. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, yeah, they fight and they're in the forest for a bit. And yep. then, uh, they go through a portal. Is that what happens? Is it a portal? Oh, yeah, yeah, Johnny Cage creates a portal, doesn't he? No, I think it's one of Scorpion's powers is to create little portals. Okay, um, yes, that's right. Yeah, that's and- right. Yeah, they they basically fall into what looks like hell. <laughs> it's like a hell dungeon, and yeah. then they're fighting. If, if on hell this... was
0: made out of was like a bamboo, uh, bamboo pontoon,
1: bamboo pompoon, bamboo pompoon.
0: National lampoons, bamboo <laughs> pontoon.
1: National lampoon, bamboo,
0: bamboom education. Bam-boom, ba- National lampoons, bamboo pantoon,
1: starring Bam Margera in his pantaloons. Um, Yeah, so there is uh, this weird bamboo uh, hell and they fight on a a platform and there's some cool fight moves in that. There's some really good kicks and some acrobatics. There's that lovely placed um, high bar that Johnny Cage swings from. he
0: He does some of the best high bar
1: gymnastics since Jurassic Park The Lost World. <laughs> yeah. And um but then it's uh, it takes a, an odd turn, doesn't it? Let's put it that way. Because after they fall off the pontoon thing, um Scorpion just takes his face off. Yeah. And his head it's head turns into a skull which clearly wouldn't have fitted underneath the <laughs> No, the skull was definitely bigger than
0: the average human's head.
1: Yeah, 100% bigger. (laughs) And um, then he shoots fire at Johnny Cage. Yes, he does. And Johnny Cage picks up like a shield because there's loads of bones that he lands next to. Dead he does warriors. He like rolling down next to yeah. it, and, you know The he, bodies
0: the, of you know, dead warriors that obviously yeah. Scorpion has defeated through the many. And he looks
1: at the skull and he's like, oh my God, a skull. Um, yeah, he freaks out at that, doesn't he? he really... I like the way he freaks out at the dead skull, but he's not freaking out at Scorpion who's ripped his face Just removed off and is an alive skull. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he starts shooting fire at Johnny Cage. Johnny Cage gets a shield from the floor and sort of blocks the fire. Yeah, And it's a sharp shield. It's got, like, spikes on it and stuff. And yep. he proceeds to cut uh, Scorpion in a couple of places with it. And from yep. those cuts, it's fire emerges. And then he he just explodes, doesn't he? He does. <laughs> he, just, he just self-combusts. And oddest of all, after all of that, he self-combusts and then i think you see like do you see like his guts land there's a few cuts of camera and you see parts of scorpion like landing on the floor that you see a
0: hand a hand very visibly flying through the air as he explodes yeah which i really i thought was really a cool effect actually because you can yeah. tell he, he was dead you
1: know but then what wasn't cool is that then the last cut of that scene it cuts to a smoldering signed photo of johnny cage <laughs> saying like from your biggest fan or whatever and i i have zero sub-zero idea why well i mean i mean top
0: points for the pun Uh, i i don't know i mean so johnny cage is a famous actor he's going to carry a lot of headshots signed headshots around with him i feel like he was leaving it for um scorpion
1: But it wasn't even folded. Where was he carrying it? It was like, it was, it was big. It was quite a big photo. Did he have time
0: to pull it out, sign it? And I think that's what happens in the game. It was in perfect
1: condition. I
0: think in the (laughs) game, when, when he completes a finishing move, I think he pulls out a a, uh, headshot and signs it and then throws it at them, like on the floor. Does he really? I think he does. Yeah. I vaguely remember that. Oh,
1: well, okay. If that happens then, then that makes sense. I, I, that might be complete why.
0: bullshit, but uh, I vaguely remember it. I need
1: to look that up now.
0: Um, but I, I also thought when I was watching it, I, I agree with you. I was like, "That's brilliant." But I also thought maybe it's because Johnny Cage was supposed to die in that fight, and they re-filmed it, they re-edited it. Do you you know, because if if Johnny Cage has it had exploded, <laughs> let's say, <laughs> let's say if Johnny Cage had been set on fire um, and exploded, then uh, his he's you know, it would have been pretty funny to see his headshot, his signed headshot, land on the floor in the flames, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean?
1: Splattered with his own blood, it would have been. Would have been pretty. It would also. I did tragic. read actually, uh, and I've got more trivia for later. But there was that does relate to a point that um, they did like a once when this was released or before it was you know officially released, they did like a a few public screenings um, mm. to fans of the game and things like that, and it got really well received. But people said there wasn't actually enough fighting in it. So they went back and did, like, extensive reshooting of a lot of fight scenes and added a couple in, I think. Yeah, I mean, they
0: had to. They had to.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's what the entire game is about, isn't it? It's fighting.
0: (laughs) There's also, there's this scene, there's weird scenes throughout the movie where Princess Katana is being followed by... Uh, what can only be described as the worst CGI lizard of all time. Yeah, um, it's like the
1: pointiest lizard in the world. Pointy,
0: pointy lizard with zero texture. It has zero texture on its body. It's just like CGI mush. Yeah, um, and it's being follow. It's following Princess Katana, going invisible all the time, like like the Predator. Um, eventually, it gets called out. I actually love this fight because it climbs into the rotten carcass in the other realm or falls into the, a rotten carcass and it gets pulled inside it and it then becomes reptile <laughs> and uh, and then has a fight with um, with Liu Kang. But the only thing about this fight is I didn't like about Reptile and I loved, I remember watching it as a kid. I used to love this fight because I loved mm. Reptile. He's my, he was my favorite character. But the only thing I didn't like about this was Reptile was really short. <laughs> Did you see? Like He
1: was really Really, really short. short. Yeah. Liu Kang is
0: not a tall guy. No. But... Reptile was very, very short, um, but I like that fight. And then obviously uh, Liu Kang does, does his kind of one of his special moves where he does the kind of, you know, the thousand kicks in the air, like d- 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 yeah, really jumps cool. up and, yeah, and like kicks him in the chest. I really like that. And then he does a kind of backwards somersault through the air. Reptile flies through the the hole. <laughs> oh, in, yeah, that one looked royal... a bit rubbish. That did <whistles> it It's it makes like flying annoying.
1: attached to a rope.
0: <whistles> <whistles> and... <whistles> Paul Anderson had a really good idea of just having the camera just flip upside down on itself. So you had this view of Liu Kang. But the weird thing is with the the camera, it doesn't move backwards. So it's just flipping in the air on the spot. It's not moving (laughs) backwards. (laughs) Um, And then he just randomly just falls on the ground and then the reptile falls out. And then uh, Liu Kang actually stamps on his head. He does. And uh, in a really grotesque way. Yeah. But I quite like that fight. That was probably the one I did like. I feel like the plot of this movie... Going goes from being like this tournament to being this this rescue movie that at some point they just got bored and they went we need to up the stakes here. So Sonya being this kick-ass woman who throughout the whole movie is like this crime fighting uh, kick-ass woman and she's in like a like kind of tactical gear through the whole movie Mm. all of a sudden gets kidnapped by Shang Tsung for no apparent reason dragged to a tower. Like all mythical uh, uh, fairy tales, Rapunzel. Tale. <laughs> yeah, and then you next time you see her, she's chained up um, in a short skirt and like
1: leather like girdle. She actually looks like she's just come from the set of the Flintstones movie, which was being filmed in like the next studio along.
0: Yeah, or or some kind of Mortal Kombat porn version. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and then and then and then the two guys have to rescue her, of course, um, which Very is old. just. Oh, it was just a I don't know, it just it was really straight. It was of its time. It's of its time, but it was just it was just really weird. By the way, just while we're saying this, I've just i just read something in, in terms of trivia on this movie. Mm. Actually about the video game. And oh, that yeah. is that the co-creator of the original video game Mortal Kombat, his name was Ed Boone. Right. And he starred as the voice of Scorpion. Get over here.
1: Ed Boone Ed does Boone. he live on a bamboo pontoon.
0: Exactly. Ed Boone's <laughs> National Lampoons. Bamboo, bamboo, pontoon. Pontoon. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make it up ladies and gentlemen Ed you boom, cannot bamboo make bamboo it up <laughs> Ed Boon, National Lampoon Bamboon Pontoon <laughs> the movie
1: <laughs> get over here <laughs>
0: get down here
1: oh, go cry I can't <laughs>
0: um so Uh so that's a fact uh there's 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 some trivia while we're there why don't we uh why don't we jump into some trivia
1: okay right cool i just got to compose myself can i ask a question (laughs) was
0: was that um a really inappropriate steven spielberg reference at the beginning of
1: the movie well i can explain that in my trivia six minutes into the film uh Steven Spielberg, He's, he was apparently an avid fan of the Mortal Kombat series, and he was meant to be making a cameo appearance in this. Uh what? And it's in the scene where like Johnny Cage is filming his thing, and there's a director on like a boom camera thing, isn't there? John? A yeah. uh, bamboo pontoon boom. Yes. And- <laughs> Ed Boone, wasn't it? Ed Boone on his bamboo pontoon on the boom. Uh, I'm sorry, I'll stop there now. Uh, yeah, so he was meant to make a cameo in this, uh, but I think Scheduling conflicts meant he couldn't do it. Hmm. Um, but then they just made like the guy that he was meant to be uh, playing look exactly like him, didn't they? I
0: mean, it was him. It was in you know, like a brown leather jacket, it had a baseball cap on. He had like round yeah. glasses, round didn't glasses,
1: they? the beard, everything. Like, Johnny, you can't just walk off the set, yeah. <laughs> that
0: kind of thing, wasn't it? Why would yeah. Steven Spielberg be making such a terrible movie?
1: Well, that's like right. a terrible, like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Actually, I didn't think about that.
0: Um like but yet Caucasian um action movie, like yeah. karate movie. This is where you fall down.
1: But it it was meant to be Steven Spielberg. Oh i was a big fan. Uh more facts. Uh Jean Claude Van Damme turned down the role of Johnny Cage to do Street Fighter. <laughs> the muscles from Brussels. Uh I mean, would you rather have been in Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter?
0: Uh 1 100% I'm glad he was in uh Street Fighter because Lyndon Ashby crushes this as Johnny Cage without a yeah, doubt. Yeah. He does. But why here's a question, why was the muscles from Brussels with his thick Belgian accent? Hmm. The USA character from Street Fighter <laughs> like the literally with Army? an
1: American flag tattoo on his yep. arm. Yep. Uh it didn't make any sense. It's just cuz he had the moves, wasn't it really? It's it yes it was. Um, more trivia. So, in I think it's the film with uh the the scene with uh Sub Zero and when Luke Kang fights Sub Zero. And there's like a ramp that goes down it, and Sub Zero does like these really cool, like, acrobatic sort of flips down the ramp. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Robin Chu, who plays Lu Kang, was meant to do that as well. Uh, but he couldn't do it, <laughs> so after a few takes, like he just ran down the ramp, screaming <laughs> like, crazily, and you do see that in the film. he just runs down this ramp while sub zero's just done these awesome like acrobatic like flips down it. yeah, you do see him. he's like, ah, yeah he runs ah, down it works, and... it's fine, but apparently yeah. he was meant to do something similar, but he couldn't he couldn't do it, so he was like now, nah, forget it, I'm running down I'm just running down <laughs> there, <just running> <laughs> um, wow. Here's one that might shock you a little bit. Uh Sean Connery <laughs> was the first choice for the role of Raiden. <laughs> I mean it's like the ultimate insult, isn't it? Considering what they did to him in whatever Bond it was where they gave him prosthetic eyes oh to make my him look Chinese, goodness me. which is awful. Um, that is awful.
0: Atrocious. Yeah. Um Sean Connery as Lord Raiden. Yeah. <laughs> Shang Song! How am I not surprised you piece of shit
1: <laughs> I would have liked it
0: I would just like to have seen lightning coming out of his eyes
1: Yeah definitely uh, He turned it down As he wanted to play golf And wasn't interested in a physical role <laughs> Physical role I think
0: the only physical thing That Lord Raiden Played by Christopher Lambert Actually does throughout this movie Is blink
1: yeah, he, he doesn't like even move down does he? all the time. And just... So, so he turned it down. It said Christopher Lambert, his fellow cast member from Highlander and Highlander Two, got the part instead. Danny Glover was also considered for the role. That's ridiculous. Would you see Danny Glover as Raiders? <laughs> Getting
0: too old for this lightning <laughs>
1: shit.
0: I'm too old for this shit. Getting too old for this
1: lightning shit. <laughs> um, yeah. No. Um Speaking of cars, so apparently, and forgive me, I don't know who this first person is, but Gary Daniels, Tom Cruise and Johnny Depp were considered for the roles of Johnny Cage.
0: I mean, they're never, ever, ever going to take that part, are they? No.
1: I could, well, I could have seen Tom Cruise doing it.
0: Tom Cruise in Mortal Kombat as Johnny no, he, Cage? No, like, he,
1: he wouldn't have done it because, well, I don't know. Because he has a career. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, you don't know how at the time this could have been like the best thing ever. But it wasn't, was it? <laughs> no, it was not. This was uh... basically it was
0: it was Enter the Dragon meets Mortal Kombat the video game plus a load of silly shit in 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 terms of how you would sum this film up. I yeah. just uh, I mean, it's Mortal Kombat. Brilliant. They nailed it. They nailed it. Like, you wanted Mortal Kombat the movie, you got Mortal Kombat the movie. What they didn't do with this movie, which is they do with every other video game movie ever, in in the most part, I'm talking about Street Fighter, I'm talking about Super Mario Brothers, is they create movies, they basically write a whole script about something completely unrelated to Street Fighter or Super Mario Brothers, and then they just say, okay, now let's just put... Mario and Luigi into that, into that script. <laughs> just plop them down there. Plop them in. Let's, Street Fighter. I tell you what, I've got this great script. It's a hostage drama. It's about the UN and this despot, crazy guy that wants to set up his own place, uh, his own his own country but called Bison Tropolis. <laughs> um, but you know what? Instead of just like, putting some random characters in, let's just put all the Street Fighter characters in there. Yeah. And Jean Claude Van Damme as the American, Guile. Done? Done.
1: Callum just stick Callum Minogue in
0: there as Cammy, an as Cammy. Australian playing a British character. It is yep. so bizarre the whole that whole thing. But Mortal Kombat, they they it does exactly what it says on the tin. There's combat, it's mortal, <laughs> and it's the video game, but it's also a movie.
1: Yeah, I can't. So
0: I don't think you can say fair, fairer than that. No, there is one thing that we haven't talked about. Hmm. And this might surprise you.
1: I think I know what you might say.
0: The theme tune. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mortal Kombat. Dun, 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 <coughs>
1: this <paralyzes> is someone getting punched repeatedly in the guts.
0: Kano, Scorpion,
1: test your
0: maiden. Lu Kang. Um, this, I think. I can't think of a single movie where they have created a theme tune for that movie and they have played it so continuously throughout the movie it, in almost every scene of anything happening.
1: Mortal Kombat.
0: And you're like having a, a, a fit, like a Mortal Kombat fit. It is. It's song. like, it, it's like taking ecstasy and cocaine and coffee all at the same time, a Red Bull and then playing
1: Mortal Kombat the theme tune. Can you imagine being in the studio the when they recorded that? Like the guy on the synths, no. like doing that ooh 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 on the keyboard. It must have been off his face. I mean, don't talk
0: to any of my colleagues because there, there have been times in my office where I've played Mortal Kombat on re- on repeat, and, uh, <laughs> they just to you? just to get people motivated. They're <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just sitting there quietly, and then from my from my speaker comes
1: Mortal Kombat. Um, I've I've actually got a bit of trivia about the soundtrack. Okay, go on. It's quite interesting. So Mm -hmm. the producers um, were rejected by both Sony and Virgin Records for producing the film soundtrack. They wanted to use uh, electronic dance music, whereas record companies insisted on popular artists like Van Halen and Janet Jackson. The producers finally went with TVT Records, a relatively small record company at the time, and the soundtrack became the first platinum EDM record ever in history.
0: Oh wow! Wow. So there you go. I mean, it's made its mark. It's still a popular soundtrack, to be honest. Oh yeah. It had it. It, it, it had shades of. It was a little bit before its time, but it had shades to me of uh, the Matrix, in the way that it used like some of that kind of EDM elements. <laughs> yeah. Op- you know, you know what I mean? It had that yeah. kind of that kind of vibe. It was, it was perhaps a little bit ahead of its time. I but, think uh, it
1: suits it. It's, it's a bit overused.
0: Yeah, I mean, the theme tune is just overused, isn't it? Yeah. But it is incredible. It's an incredible theme tune.
1: Yeah, I like it. <laughs> but it, I can't listen to it too much. I listen to it far too much in the run-up to us recording this.
0: And, so uh, would you recommend this film
1: to uh, to our listeners? I'd recommend it if you want to watch a film about a game which is true to the game and you've got a soft spot for Mortal Kombat or if you just want to see a film that's a bit shit.
0: And I think that statement will always come with an asterisk in the shape of Christopher Lambert as Lord (laughs) Raiden.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: If you're a fan of the game, you want to see something that's exactly like the game, then watch Mortal Kombat. (laughs) Asterisk Christopher Lambert. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. Ah, ah, ah. (laughs) I'd recommend
0: it. So that was Mortal Kombat in this week's Video Store Corner section. An incredible film. The greatest film of all time. Also one of the worst films of all time. Have a few beers. Sit down. Watch it. uh, If you enjoyed listening to this section. So on next week's podcast, we'll be bringing you yet another slice of movie and TV related podcast fun. But you better get on our Facebook and Instagram accounts, give us a follow, jump on your podcast player, give us some nice five-star reviews, please. We want to keep doing this, and uh, that's the only way to tell us you like what we're doing. On the flip side of that, if you hate what we're doing, please tell us too. Uh, Phil, Yeah. yeah, there's just one last thing to say. Yeah. Mortal Kombat! Bye, 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 bye.
1: Bye.